Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. All right, as we get settled back in, we're going to continue on with our scripture reading, and uh, we'll spend some time reading from uh, Psalm 139. And so we already engaged this in the call to worship, but, uh, and I actually know this is a fairly familiar um, passage for many of us, but I think that actually works to our advantage in this case, because hopefully we can do just what David sung there at the end, we can go on this journey where we get out of our heads and we uh, descend from the mind into the heart. And so I want to encourage you, as Patrick reads this, just to let it wash over you. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to skip the Philippians passage, FYI, Alan, for the sake of time. Um, before Patrick reads, I just want to say thank you to Nicole and David and Josh for leading us. Uh, just this community is well-led into uh, spaces of prayer. Lisa, thank you for leading us in prayer this morning. Um, you know, David kind of went impromptu there at the end with head to the heart, but it felt really fitting because that's how that experience was for me to just uh, get out of my head, lots of swirling thoughts, and by the end, realizing God's at work in deep places. And so thankful for a community that can go on journeys like that. All right, let's let Psalm 139 wash over us this morning. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. Even from far away, you compliment my plans. You study by traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you'd be there. And if I went down to Sheol, you'd be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. Even there your strong hand would hold me tight. Search me, O God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Psalm 139. Thank you, Patrick. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was beautiful. Thanks, man. A uh, quick reminder before we jump in, um, our preschool is open at the 9 a.m. now, and that's a big win, and we're starting to see the uh, services balance out, which is really fun. And so I uh, want to remind you, if you have preschoolers, uh, the 9 a.m. as well as the 1030 has a dedicated space for preschoolers now. Um, all right, well, we're going to just spend a short amount of time this morning uh, walking through our sermon. Uh, as you all know, we've spent much of the last season walking through these five acts of God's big story, and we're going to continue on with that. This morning, sitting in Act 4, uh, Jesus comes, Jesus comes, a vulnerable baby into Bethlehem, and all of a sudden we have this 
view of God that we had not seen before, and a view of God's big story that we had not seen before. It all means something new now. And, uh, and we get ushered into this larger story. God comes into the realities of creation and into the mess of our lives and into our hopes for a better promise, and he meets us in the mystery of that and the messiness of that and the mundane of ordinary life. Uh, God has come. And so when we see Jesus, uh, it all means something new, and that's what we mean by epiphany. We've talked about that, that any part of God's story, any part of God's story that we hold up to the light of Christ suddenly takes on different significance and different shape than it did before. It means something new because of the revelation of Jesus. And so, as Lisa led us in prayer, we're, we're sitting with this idea that we are not only being restored in Jesus, but we are being restoried in Jesus, and not just us, but creation at large, the cosmos at large. And so, in that way, Scripture becomes like this movie that you watch over and over again, and every time you re-enter it, you see a different clue, you see a different hint, you see a different facet, a different layer, a different idea idea that is pointing deeper and deeper and deeper. And so Christ, the living word, is speaking. Because Christ is alive, Christ, the word, is alive, is speaking. Wherever we find ourselves, Christ plays in 10,000 places. And so when we're walking through the grocery store, Christ is speaking. When we're walking through the graveyard seasons of life, Christ is speaking. When we arrive at the ocean and we take a big deep breath, Christ is speaking. And when we sit in the oncologist's office and we take a big deep breath, Christ is speaking. And so more than a volume of truths about God and more than a bunch of takeaways about how to live the best life we can, what we have here is something that in every page is pointing to Jesus and to this great story of redemption. And we get to join in on that story. And so uh, we're going to just rewind for a few minutes today. Last week, well, not last week, two weeks ago, we had house church last week. Two weeks ago, we sat with how Jesus restores act one, creation. We sat in the Gospel of John and saw all these ways that John frames Jesus to be a creator and a recreator. And this morning, I want to do the same thing, but with act two. I just want to sit with the ways that Jesus restores the fall, the fall. The fall into sin. I fall into sin. You fall into sin. In Genesis 3, the whole world falls into sin. And it's catastrophic. And we spent a month on it, right? Like Adam and Eve, these archetypal ancestors, they say no to the, the, the will of God. They say yes to the one thing God said no to. And in an instant, their disordered desires have disordered the whole world. And we live in the midst of that disorder. And creation is bent off course, and sin fractures shalom, and the image of God in us is marred, and sin and death enter the story. And it's, it's catastrophic. Like, whatever you carry today, many of us are sitting in realities right now that find their roots in the fall. The power of sin and death. All of us, in some way, are struggling with the roots of that. And so we don't want to ever minimize the impact of that because much of our entire spiritual lives is connected in some way to the, the events of the fall. But the fall 
it turns out, is only the first fall. It's not the final fall. Uh, when we walk away from God, we've talked about this, we go on a walk away from God. I don't, I don't believe in this anymore. I'm not sure about this anymore. And that's all fine. God just joins us on the walk, <laughs> right? Uh, Psalm 139, where could I go? You're not going to go with me, right? And in the same way, when we fall away from God, what does God do? He falls to us. He falls to us. This is the incarnation. This is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Heaven falls like snow into Bethlehem. The fall of God into a fallen world. And this is what we might call the second fall. It's as if God says, like, I see your fall and I raise it, right? Like, anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> God falls to us, and, uh, and, and in the first fall, we find Eve, and she's holding fruit, and she's guilty, and in the second fall, we find Mary, and she's holding a baby who is innocent. And in the first fall, we find Adam, and he's naked, and he's hiding from God, and in the second fall, we find this baby, and he's naked, but he's Jesus is restoring and restoring what this fall is all about. And so we have the second fall of incarnation. And then uh, if, we, if we fast forward in our story, we know that there is uh, some rising stories. And we make a lot of the rising stories, the rising into resurrection of Christ on the third day at Easter, the rising of ascension, Jesus is lifted to heaven. But then what do we get on the other side of that? We get a third fall. Jesus... And, 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 and through the power of the Spirit being given to us, overcomes and, and just one-ups the fall again. It's like God is now just showing off. We have a third fall, and this one is the Holy Spirit given to the church. God falls down in the form of a dove and empowers his church for life in the image of God. And these falls are restoring the fall of humanity and so I want to spend about five minutes just walking through a few things. If you remember a month or so ago, we talked about the spread of sin in Genesis, and we, we walked through how what began as individual brokenness in Adam and Eve becomes structural and systemic brokenness by the time we get to the Tower of Babel. And I want to point that out again because it is important in the world we find ourselves that we have room for both of these realities that there is a structural reality to how sin shows up in the collective humanity, the collective way we, we operate as humans, and also there is like deep soul brokenness as a result of sin. And we have to make sense of both in order to cooperate with Jesus and the Spirit who wants to help us push back on the power of sin and death. And so we have these stories, but what I think is fascinating is then we get that third fall of Pentecost. And what happens in the third fall of Pentecost is actually each one of these stories is retold in reverse order, but with a different outcome. And I think it's absolutely fascinating. Scripture is undoing the spread of sin that we see in Genesis. Let me spend a few minutes. I'll take us through it. We won't dwell on this too much. But if you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, this story that we are saying is about systemic brokenness. At Pentecost, Babel is reverse told. And so if you go to the next one for me, Alan, what we have in Babel, uh, and actually one more, I'm gonna skip a few this time. Yeah, okay, so at Babel, we have this place of exile. They've been pushed out of the garden of God's home and into a place of exile. What you have at Pentecost is a place of gathering. At Babel, you have this homogenous group, and they all speak one language. But at Pentecost, you get diverse groups from around the world, and they speak many languages. 
In Babel, they're trying to find a way to get to heaven. And in Pentecost, heaven just falls right down to them, right? In Babel, God confuses their understanding. And in Pentecost, God brings understanding. They were scattered and divided, but now they are brought together and united. They're trying to build a name for ourselves. And in Pentecost, instead, they speak of God's mighty deeds of power, a name for God. In Babel, the project is ultimately abandoned, but at Pentecost, the church is birthed. So what you have here is this masterful retelling that Babel is not the final word. In fact, God is going to find a way to restore that into something that now is no longer about systemic brokenness, but is about systemic healing. This is how the world gets healed, right? Or let's take the story of Noah. I've mentioned this a few times real quick, but it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I wish we had more time this morning. The more I sit with this one, the more fascinating it gets to me. The Pentecost story completely retells the flood story, right? At the flood story, what you have is this societal brokenness story. In fact, the world has become so bad that God repents of having ever made humanity, which is all kinds of theological implications there. Just sit with that one. Uh, but what we have here in the flood story, if we understand it as part of this big story, it's no longer just this obscure, arbitrary Sunday school lesson. Instead, what you get is a foreshadowing of the Spirit coming to create a church that will rescue the world that is flooded by sin and death. And here's how it works. Uh, if you recall, when Noah wonders, he's on the ark, he's built the ark, he's floated for a long time, and he wonders if the great storm is over. Do you remember what he sends out to look for land? He sends out a dove. He sends out a dove. What is a dove a picture of in, throughout all of Scripture? The dove is the picture of the Holy Spirit, right? When Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends like a dove. Do you remember what the, what the dove brings back in its beak? An olive branch. <laughs> what do we know of an olive branch? What is an olive branch a symbol of, right? Peace, peace. And so you have this picture. It turns out the flood is a foreshadowing of a story of a great rescue that leads to the emergence of a dove that will descend over the flood and bring back a message of peace in its mouth, right? And send out an army of peacemakers pushing back on shalom to the storm-tossed world. And so in the light of Jesus, even the flood, it's not a primordial story. It's not a primitive story. It's a Pentecostal story. It's a story that is retold in the light of Jesus. We mentioned Lamech uh, a while ago, and, and I won't spend too much time going back through it, but Lamech is this uh, descendant of Cain. He says if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is 77-fold, right? And he's got this, uh, this picture of exponential vengeance, exponential violence. He says, I killed a man just because he wounded me. And this is, of course, how the world gets so broken, because we're all wounded, and then we all lash out at others, right? And then Peter walks up to Jesus, and he asks if he should forgive his brother as many as seven times, and Jesus restores Lamech. He uses the exact same mathematical sequence, but he reverses the outcome, and he says, not only seven times, 77 times you should forgive your brother. So what was a story of exponential brokenness becomes a story of exponential healing. Or Cain, the world's first big brother, and he murders his little brother unjustly. But in Jesus, and in the example of Jesus, what we get is the story of the big brother murdered unjustly rather than murdering unjustly. 
It is the story of the better big brother who pushes back on a familial brokenness and says, I'm going to show you what familial healing might look like. And so Jesus' word speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so the Bible keeps circling back on itself to re-understand itself in the light of Jesus. And the idea seems to be, and we'll wrap it up with this, that no matter how far we go, no matter where we go, we cannot escape the redemption of God. And no matter how far we have sunk, God is content to meet us in those depths. It's, it's what Patrick read. If we make our bed in Sheol, even there God will find us. And that brings us to the picture of Adam and Eve, and we'll, we'll end with this. It's what I call the final fall. The final fall is what we confess in our creed. If you know the Apostles' Creed, uh, we, one of the things that is confessed is that we believe that Jesus descended to hell. With this picture of God descending into Hades, descending into Sheol, the realm of the dead. And there's a lot of difficulty in this passage and in these ideas in Scripture. It's not entirely clear. Scholars debate what exactly that means. But the imaginative tradition has it that Jesus crushes the gates of hell, right? And there he meets Adam and Eve. There's lots of artwork about this. He offers Adam and Eve his arm. And he says something along the lines of, the peace of Christ be with you. And Adam maybe says back, and also with you, right? Because he descends, and he who descends ascends, and he leads captives in his train. And I want to just invite us as we close this into a moment of prayer and, and reflection on this. And so I'll invite you to just... Uh, Pay attention to your own soul. And I call this the final fall, even though in the narrative of Scripture it comes before Pentecost, I think it's the final fall because it's the ongoing fall, meaning Jesus is always going into hell. Jesus is always coming back out of it, right? If Jesus descends to hell, the implication is he knows the way in. And if Jesus ascends, the implication is he knows the way back out. So I'll invite you to just reflect on like what is the, what is the heaviness, what is the depths sitting in your heart this morning? Where is the great deep? If you're open to it, God might meet you there too. And of course we know it's not simple. And of course we know there are long seasons where it feels like he is not meeting us there. But the tradition holds that if we wait, God meets us in the depths, brings us up out of the miry pit, and puts a new song in our mouths. So God, would you take our stories? You're in the business of rewriting stories. 
And I just know that some of us need parts of our story rewritten, that we are powerless to rewrite. We don't know how. Fall on us, God. Fall on us, fallen people. Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on me. And lead us into eternal life.